It's nearly Christmas. 13 days. Let's just do something for fun. Let's have a show of hands if you haven't even begun any Christmas shopping. Okay, there's a few. All right, let's do this. You've, you've done half of it. All right, let's, some people are going to enjoy the next moment. If, this is, if you're in this group, this moment you'll enjoy. Who's finished it? Goodness me. Okay, who's finished it and it's wrapped? Oh, my goodness. What do you do for the next 13 days? What is that? I, I see the Amazon guy come on a daily basis. And I'm grateful for Sarah that these boxes magically wrap themselves in a pile. I'm very grateful for that. It is, it is coming. It's, it's on its way. That's the last time we're going to show the Christmas invite promo. We said use that online or take a flight. Invite your friends to come along either this evening or next Sunday. I was pleased that Amanda reminded us that our normal 10 past 10 Sunday morning service won't be happening next week. Some of you work that out, 9.30 or 11.15 only. Anyway, it would be good to see you. Some of you will work that out way later. It's not that funny. Anyway, today I want to talk about something that's sometimes not easy to talk about, but actually in this group feels like it's easy to talk about because of the people that I'm looking at and the people that I see. A few weeks ago, I talked about the importance of our decisions and that we make decisions and they have impact. They go places. They change things. Sometimes it's the small decisions. I used an analogy a few months ago that like a fork in the road or like a split in a train tracks, it changes the direction on a massive scale, but it begins small. So I've been looking at the whole aspect of decisions. And today I want to talk, I want to encourage, I want to invite, and I want to affirm you in deciding to contribute. This is what I mean by this. There are some people in life, and you probably know some of these people, and everywhere they go, there is this, sometimes people describe it like an energy or an enthusiasm or something that's sometimes hard to define, but you notice it, where they encourage, they build up, they listen well, they see potential, they, they encourage they're generous. They give. And it comes from them, and it changes everywhere they go. Now, there are other people in life, and sadly, you may know some of these people too, and they kind of do the opposite. They, they take everywhere they go. They don't help. They don't give. And there is almost this attitude, and sadly, it's quite common in modern life. There's this kind of what's-in-it-for-me approach. I want us to be centered around the beautiful example of Jesus, which gives and cares and notices and is generous. So today I want to be talking about deciding to contribute. And I want to poke a little bit at some of the reasons why we don't. And I say we because sometimes we could and we don't. And sometimes we should and we don't. And I want to look at that and expand on that uh, and I want to challenge some of the reasons why we feel that we can't do something. So I'll start with this. Have you ever seen somebody that's really good at something? And you find yourself saying, wow, they're really talented. I'm not dot, 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 dot. 
By doing that, we disqualify any potential that we may grow in something. Very rarely do you ever meet anyone who was born as an expert in their particular field, whether that's in a role, in education, uh, or in sport. There is an infancy, there is a progressiveness by learning, by flexing muscles. So I want to start by saying none of us are experts. We all begin somewhere. Don't disqualify yourself because somebody else has got more or is more talented. I want to affirm every contribution, and I want to boldly say, decide to contribute. And I want to begin by introducing somebody who is in themselves an incredible example and inspiration, often behind the scenes, but so frequently it's the behind the scenes that actually keep the scenes standing up. And this person is going to tell a story of a relative of theirs who lived a life deciding to contribute. So Melody, why don't you come up? Why don't we clap? And can you pass me that? Melody's going to tell us a story. Hi. Um, God has inspired me to share with you uh, what it looks like to be the hands and feet of Jesus. This is a story about my mom. Um, my mom modeled for me what it was like to serve Jesus. She was a lifelong member of Trinity Baptist Church here in Brockton. And as a young girl and all throughout my life, I saw my mom serving. She managed the clothes closet, which was a, uh, an organization where people could just donate used clothes, and she managed it and gave them away free of charge. Um, I also saw her volunteer often in the church nursery, and she helped weekly with something called Pioneer Clubs, which was also a children's ministry thing. Uh, when we got a church van, she was the first one to sign up to drive it, and I got to be her co-pilot every single, every single Sunday. She modeled for me what it was like to be a woman of God, and she demonstrated what it was like to serve others. Then in 2013, she was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. She started to slow down, but her faith and her love for Jesus never faltered. After many rounds of chemo and many, many prayers, she achieved remission. She would so often share her story proudly with others. She did slow down at church, but she still helped where she could. And then she was diagnosed with kidney cancer and liver cancer. This was another disappointing diagnosis, but um, she had faith that she would be healed just like she was with the lymphoma. After some surgeries, uh, she was encouraged to try immunotherapy, and she followed the doctor's advice, and she was blessed with more time. Eventually, though, the cancer was growing at a pace that the doctors couldn't control. And she lost her strength to walk, and she kept having compiling medical issues. She died last October. The verse that came to mind so often near the end of her life was 2 Timothy 4, uh, 7 through 8. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to those who have longed for his appearing. 
I'm sharing this message with you today because I feel like her legacy of being the hands and feet of Jesus has now been passed to me. I want to model what it's like to be a woman of faith for my daughter. In fact, I've been taking her along to make um, lunches for the homeless, and she's been watching me in the children's ministry, um, teaching the class. Um, when it was time to write something on Mom's gravestone, my dad and I didn't have to think long about it. Knowing her life, the words, Well done, my good and faithful servant, came immediately to mind. We both agreed that those words were perfect to describe her life and her legacy. I encourage you right now to reflect on the legacy that you're leaving behind. Are you showing others what it means to be the hands and feet of Jesus here on earth? Matthew 6, 19 to 21 says, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven, where moth and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Think for a second about this passage. Where do you allocate most of your time? Where we focus our time is our treasure. Where do your treasures lie? Are you storing up treasures in heaven? Or are you focused on the busyness of this world and so many other distractions? Um, sometimes our heavenly priorities take a back seat. Is God tugging on your heart, nudging you to maybe serve in some capacity? Uh, maybe God has been um, asking you to witness to a neighbor or volunteer in the church um, nursery or the Sunday school wing or maybe the greeting team or the prayer team. Um, I encourage you to think about where maybe you can serve. Pray first and then go do it. Don't wait for the legacy to be passed to you. Instead, start now. With my mom as my model, I've decided to make sure that my priorities are focused on my eternal home. Because like my mother, I, I yearn for the Lord to say to me, well done, my good and faithful servant. Melody is a great example in that. I said sometimes we disqualify ourselves by saying someone's more talented. One of the other reasons we often disqualify ourselves is we say we don't have the time. Melody is a teacher and has had the challenge of being a teacher during a pandemic. She's got a husband who works sometimes extra hours and she's a parent and she serves and she volunteers because she's decided to contribute. And I affirm and we celebrate and we thank you for that and the example that you are to others. Thank you. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Luke 19, verse 11 to 26. Before we get into this text, and we're going to look at two texts and we're going to deal, delve into the context and what Jesus was teaching. And we're going to come at it from a slightly different angle. And some of you need to catch and have quick reflexes. All will be revealed. Before we get to that, I want to make this comment. God gives generously to all of us 
And there is an expectation of what we do with that. This is about talents. This is about time. This is about finance. God is generous. Often, we don't deserve it, but he's so generous, he just gives us anyway. Now, sometimes that feels like a, just a, what a win, what a bonus. Isn't that great? I strongly believe that we have a responsibility for what we have, our gifts, our talents, our skills. And Scripture teaches that we will have to explain and give an answer. What did you do with that? Well, I didn't. I want us to think about that. That's where we're going to go slightly. Luke 19, verse 11 to 26. I'm going to read this from here, and the words are going to appear on the screen. While they were listening to this, he, this is Jesus, went on to tell them a parable. Because he was near Jerusalem, remember that. And the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He, that's Jesus, said, A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten miners. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, We don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he went for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, Sir, your miner has earned ten more. Well done, good and faithful servant. Because you've been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your miner has earned five more. His His master answered, You take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your miner. I've kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you're a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and you reap where you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow. Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest. Then he said to those standing by, take his miner away from him and give it to the one who has 10 miners. Sir, they said, he already has 10. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. What a Strange, unique, powerful, provoking story. Sometimes we've made the mistake of assuming that Jesus was this super nice guy that was always very easygoing. Actually, Jesus was challenging, and some of his teaching was uncomfortable. And at some point, some of the people hearing his teacher said, Jesus, do you know that you're a little bit like that? Of which the answer is, yes, he did know Some of the religious people said, when you say this, do you know it offends us? And I imagine Jesus nodding. He's not trying to annoy, but he's trying to stimulate and stir. What he's not trying to do is entertain. He's trying to provoke us to change, to live better, to live well. A different way of seeing things. Let's look at this. 
I'll explain the passage slightly and then we're going to move in a different direction. The passage begins that Jesus is nearing Jerusalem. Jerusalem is this holy city, and it was loaded with meaning. It was loaded with scripture. For those that had read the Bible so far, the Old Testament, these religious people were waiting for this moment where God would step in and would reveal himself, and this is the place. There is this expectation. But through their lenses, it's loaded in the wrong way, where it's going to look like this and this and this. And Jesus is breaking this mold and causing great offense along the way. And I think he was enjoying it too. But it's loaded with this expectation that the kingdom of God is going to come and it's going to look like the way we want it to look. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 it's going to look different. So that's why it says, as they neared this place, this loaded place. Jesus tells a story that to us feels really strange. A man goes away to have himself crowned as king. That sounds really weird. Until you know this from the historical context. While it's a strange procedure, the Herods did exactly that when they went to Rome. It's an analogy, therefore, Jesus' first audience entirely understood. Aware that kingship is rarely chosen by the people. But there's normally a greater force at work. So, there's a master... There's 10 miners or coins, as one Bible translation uh, calls it, and he gives them away. As I was looking at this text, I was thinking, I need to find 10 large coins. And I couldn't find 10 large coins, and 10 small coins are too small. So the closest I could get for 10 large coins was Frisbees. Uh, And I've got a few of them. And I've gone back and forth on this idea quite a few times. But how good are people at catching? Is, are we getting a yeah, is there a yes or a no? If there's anyone that, that really doesn't want to catch, if they want to duck uh, 10, uh, yes? Are we getting a yes? Okay, right. 10, 1. <laughs> Let's try and do 5 each side. <laughs> of course, you go... To, of course, the American baseball game where you'll catch the ball in the stadium. You know how to do this. Right? I need a few more. Where are we going? Sarah's saying no. Three. Okay, I'm just going to speed this up slightly. Some of these are going to go a bit quicker. Look up. Oh, look at this. Okay, how many have I done? I think that's ten. And one more. Oh, Sean, it's you. Okay, okay. <laughs> ten. Okay. So there's ten. I said we're going to look at this passage from a different angle. First, in the story, the master owned the Frisbees. Yeah? They were his to give. In the story, in this passage... The audience isn't graded. He just freely gives 10. There is no, I've done this. I deserve it more than someone else. There is a freedom in the generosity that the story that Jesus is telling is is there is a master. And okay, one or two people don't like this master. Jesus was used to that. But he's freely giving them. Now, 
Later on, we hear this person who really doesn't like him, who says something about Jesus, of which there's no evidence to support that person's opinion, but we just know that he doesn't like them. Let me make this comment about Jesus entering Jerusalem. There were more people in Jerusalem at the time that were hostile to Jesus' teaching, that were welcoming to his teaching. Jesus was causing great offense and rifts, and the kingdom of God that he was talking about was different to their expectations. So there were some people saying, don't like this Jesus, he can't be the one. I don't want him to be the king, I don't want him to be the Messiah, he can't be, he comes from there. Jesus knew what that was like, but in this story there is a freedom of which the master is just giving unconditionally. Remember that. Out go the Frisbees. They were a gift. Some didn't want him to be king. The first servant comes back and he says, you gave me one, I've got ten more. That's a great result. That's a great return. He went to work with what he had, or she went to work. They decided that they were going to contribute. They didn't say, well, I've only got one Frisbee. I can't do much with one Frisbee. They said, okay, this is what I've got. I can do something with this. They were enthusiastic. They were They tried, and they came back and said, I've got ten more. And the master says, wow, that's fantastic. Be in charge of ten cities. There's something I want to show you about this. There is a blessing in having more, but there is a responsibility in having more. It isn't a blessing so you can have so much more so you can just have more for yourself. But there is a responsibility. Why don't you govern and oversee 10 cities? Because what we're seeing in you is for the benefit of other communities. It's bigger than yourselves. That's where we get these 10 cities. So the responsibility of the task of 10 cities isn't a punishment. It's a gift. It's a blessing. He comes back with 10. Other person comes back. Similar result. Five more. It's, it's a good turnaround. And it's the same teaching. Well, you've shown yourself as someone who's decided to contribute and it's grown. I want you to, to do that for more people too. This is a good thing. This is meant to happen. And then we get the third servant. And this is the servant who probably has all the excuses you've heard before as to, I'm not as talented as this person. I wasn't born into that family. I didn't have the same opportunities. I was from the wrong part of town. I didn't meet the right social grouping. They've got all these excuses and reasons as to why they've not managed to do anything really with what they've had. This is disappointing. But we know all of these people. And It's a bizarre twist where in the story, well, we'll take even what you have because if you're not going to use even what you have, it's going to rust. It's going to break. It would be better placed to give to the other guy who's actively using what he has. It's a poignant story because we've all got gifts and talents and abilities and skills and finance to some level. What do we do with it? Let's move on. We're going to look at a similar story, a similar passage, also teaching of Jesus. Matthew 25. For those of you that got the Frisbees, you can keep them, or you can turn them into 10 more. <laughs> Matthew 25, 14 to 29. 
at some point in the future, whatever happens with this building, someone will be working on that beam. And they'll find a dusty frisbee. And that was the one that was buried under the cloth. <laughs> Maybe. Matthew 25, 14 to 29. Again, it would be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. I don't have bags of gold to give away, by the way. <laughs> then he went on a journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. Look how many Frisbees I've got now. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man received one bag, came and said, I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. Do you know I harvest where I've not sown and gather where I've not scattered? You should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have at least have received back some interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. It's a similar story. It's also a little bit some ouch moments along the way. To keep with the Frisbees, in this story, one person has got five, and one person's got two, and one person's got one. Now, we see the same pattern. The one with five, it says, he went off immediately and put it to work. This passage retells the story in a slightly different way, and you see the haste and the commitment of purpose to work with what the person has. Person with two, similar. Person with one, it's the same story. He makes assumptions of the person. I think you're like this, I don't like this, so I did something. And then loads it with excuses for his inactivity. Let's start with the five. And I want to make this comment. Do not disqualify yourself because one person has more Frisbees than you. In life, some of you were born with five Frisbees and some of you were born with one just the way it is. By the way, living where we live, we all were born with five. Let's just put that into perspective. 
So often you hear people say, I can't do this. Must be good for them. We all live next to somebody who has a bigger house than us. We all went to school with somebody who was instantly faster, didn't need to revise, passed all the tests. There's always going to be someone with more Frisbees. Don't let that be a reason to disqualify yourself from doing what you can do with the one or two you have. This is important. The last one buried it. Again, suspicion, reason, doesn't like the person, isn't convinced, and it rots, and it goes away, and it's passed to the other person. I made the comment at the beginning that we all have a responsibility to do well with what we have. We all know someone that's done well, and we all know people that haven't. The Bible talks about having to give an account for that, a reason for that. I want to just touch on something in these two stories you may have noticed. It's especially present in the second story. Jesus is probably putting himself in the frame as the person giving the Frisbees. There is a master, and some people don't want him to be the master, but some do. In Jerusalem, that was Jesus' experience. Hostile, dangerous, and then others that were with him. There is a responsibility that Jesus is the one going away on a journey, and he will come back. And when he comes back, he will look at his church, which is me and you, and he'll say, what did you do with what I gave you? This is where the story gets sharper, gets pointed, gets personal. This is where it's it's us. This is not for the person behind you. It's you and me. Jesus is the one going away on a journey. Okay, some don't want him to be king. That was always the case. He's still going to be king. What do we do with it? Don't look at the reasons or the excuses or the people that complain. Jesus can't be God because this happened in the world and this happened. Just what did you do with what you had? The one Frisbee, the two Frisbees, the five Frisbees. What did you do? I want to encourage you to decide to contribute. These teachings about talents and money are quite awkward. Where I come from, we don't talk publicly about politics or money. You're a little bit better at this than where I come from. But we still don't like it. It's awkward. It's uncomfortable. This is the moment where you you vary between looking at your shoes and then looking at the ceiling. What you don't do is engage or continue in the conversation. Jesus spoke about money and talents and what you did or didn't do all the time. 11 out of his 29 parables mention money. So why? I believe the answer is this, because he knew that this is going to be one of the tripwires that's going to snag us time and time again. But if we get it right, it won't. If we get it right, we will live well And those around us will. We'll end up like the people that have got responsibility for 10 cities because the blessing in us is flowing from us to those around us. But if we don't get this right, we are going to just end up with nothing. And everything we touch won't work. It just won't. There is a biblical teaching, and I'm going to touch on this but not go a long way into this. There is a biblical teaching 
where there is both the responsibility for our talents and our skills and our service and for our finance. It's quite straightforward. There's two passages that I will put on the screen and we'll touch on them. And then I'll tell you a story. The first one is from the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi 3 verse 10. And the passage says this. I say that and load the pressure on the tech guys who do a fantastic job. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. This is God speaking. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. So God knew that in our flawed humanity, we're always going to hunger after power and money. So he gives us framework to know how to exist. The passage there about money. Bring a tithe. The tithe is a tenth tenth of your income into the storehouse. The storehouse is the local church. If this is your church, your home church, it's this church. If it isn't, it's wherever your home church is. It's the storehouse. Now, just put the passage back on the screen. There's a few things I want to comment about the storehouse. It's not my storehouse. It's not your storehouse. It's his storehouse. And in the passage it says, says the Lord Almighty. It's almost like if there's any debate who's saying this, God wants to lean in and say, I'm the one saying it. And he says this, the reason for this is not because I want the church to be excessively funded so we can just have a lot for ourselves. But like the responsibility that flows to the ten cities, it's so the mission of the church can be funded to exceed beyond itself and have an impact. That's the great commission of Jesus. So God is saying, bring a tithe into the storehouse so that the storehouse will be suitably resourced to do its job. It's about function. It's not about how much it can collect. Does that make sense? And then Matthew 10 verse 8. We'll look at this passage. Super short passage, but you see something of the heart of God expressed with Jesus' teaching. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, no pressure, Drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. The Frisbees just came at you. Freely you've received, freely give. The Bible teaches with finances that we bring a tithe into the storehouse and that we give over and above that as we see need and as we are able to. And it's true, some people have got more Frisbees, they can give more. But God doesn't actually look at the size of the offering Jesus told a story of a widow who put in two coins. And he said what she's put in is more than the person who earns a chunk of change. And he had a wheelbarrow load that he put in. Jesus is honoring the heart because it's always a heart issue, not a money issue. I was thinking, how do I give an example to this? I deliberately do not know how much people give to the church. In January, I write a thank you card on behalf of the board to people who gave regularly, and I hope that I write it to everyone, but I don't look at a list of names and go, oh, who didn't I write a card to? I don't want to do that. I don't know who put in a large figure and who put in a tiny figure. I don't want to know that. I'm not the person that you will answer to. 
I'm not the person going on a journey that will come back and say, okay, you've lived your life. What did you do with what you had? That's not me. That's God. And this church is a phenomenal church that's a generous church. The reason why this message isn't as hard as it would be in some places is because I'm looking out to people who I know contribute and serve and volunteer and give. Some examples, and I'm going to show you this. We've got two daughters, Eden and Esther. Eden is 14, Esther turned 10 this week. We used to give them pocket money. Pocket money would be like a small allowance. In England, it would be a couple of pounds. And I noticed something. Wait a minute. I, I, I want to teach them well. I want to teach them the value of money, and I want to teach them the framework of money. The problem with not teaching them the value of money is money, therefore, is free. Everything is free. When we didn't give them any money, they would go in five and below and find something that's absolutely terrible and say, Dad, I'd like this. Because for them, it's free because they don't pay for it. So Sarah and I said, okay, let's give them some money and let them choose whether they think that that is a good idea to buy that piece of tack from five and below or not. And now it's their money. They go, wait a minute, I don't know if this is a good idea. So on a Saturday morning, we give each girl $10.00. One five and five ones. At the beginning of the month, we get paid monthly. We go to the bank. We draw $80 in fives and ones. It's always slightly random. We do it once a month. The girls have a different way of organizing it. This is Esther's. Esther has this plastic tub that says tithes. She takes $1 and she puts it in there. Although she said to me, Daddy, sometimes I like to put two in because it's fun. She has another tub that says living. This is the, I'm going out somewhere. I'm going to go to five and below, and I'm going to see if that's a good idea or not. And she puts some of the money in there, and then she's got another pot. And I encourage her that it's good to to save. There wasn't enough room for, for savings, so it just says saves. And she puts some of her money in there. I give her the 10. I don't tell her what goes where. I want her to learn that. My father always would quote, that, you know, train them when they're young and when they're older, they will not depart from it. Some of you know that passage. My father also taught me, if you know how to live and manage a little, you'll know how to live and manage a lot. And if you learn this late, It's a hard teaching. And some of you are already going to think, oh, I hated that message. Most of it's not mine. It's Jesus's, by the way. But tithes, living, because, hey, let's go out. Let's get a pizza. Let's do something. And saves, because stuff happens. This is just a general, basic way. I want to encourage you that in our capacity as a leadership, we've been challenged on this very subject. A few years ago, we were challenged that we want to be a church that doesn't just do this for others, but we do this for ourselves. We want to be a church that tithes, that gives offerings, and that decides to contribute. Uh, It won't be a surprise to you to know that the last 20 months have changed the shape of 
life, and church is not exempt of that. Every church I know uh, is down in both attendance and income. I want to give you some clarity on this, and I want to show you our posture in this. As a church, as we look to the end of 2021, uh, we are about 20 to 22% down in income from pre-pandemic 2019 levels. When I say that to other church leaders, some of them look at me like you should be very grateful. Uh, it's hard. Lots of churches have struggled and suffered, and the really big ones perhaps even more so. So we're about 20 to 22% down from where we were in 2019. That's been a challenge. That's been a squeeze. Uh, it hasn't always been fun, and it's not necessarily easy. But as leaders, we have a responsibility to serve God faithfully. Our first response isn't to come and ask for more. Our first response is, what are we doing with what we have? Okay, we may have used to have five Frisbees, and now it feels like we've only got four. What are we doing with the four Frisbees? I'm not just going to come to you and say, give us more Frisbees. What are we doing with the four Frisbees? And we sought to steward it well. We've made some decisions. We've reduced a staff member from employment. We've made other adjustments and cuts in other areas. At the same time, seeking to serve people more. Like many other businesses and industries, the church has had to flex and do more at times when we've had less. That's a familiar line for many of you in your work setting. At the same time, we have decided that we are going to continue to contribute, that we're going to continue to give tithes and offerings. I'm going to read them to you because the year is nearly done. This year, we've given tithes and offerings to the following list. Faith and Pistons, providing vehicles to people in need while investing in the future of our community's youth by teaching qualified automotive skills, and furthering personal growth. We've given money to Lynn Ministries, Love Your Neighbor Now, feeding people suffering homelessness in Brockton. We've given money to Teen Challenge, a network of Christian faith-based corporations intended to provide rehab services to people struggling with addiction. We've given money to Harvest-inspired ministries, a Christ-centered support group offering hope and compassion to those bound in addictions and to the people who love them. We've given money to the Glimpse Film Series, a series of films that provides a glimpse into the past and character and salvation found only in Jesus. We've given money to The Well, whose mission is to help individuals, families, and the community experience spiritual, emotional, and physical healing and wellness. We've given money to Christian and Missionary Alliance Overseas Missionaries, We've given money to the Chosen Film Series. We gave money to the Haiti Relief Fund. And we've given money to King's Kids, a place where every child receives royal treatment. To date, we've also given over $7,000 in benevolent to people in need. Most weeks, like Julie did this week, when we receive an offer, we also take the opportunity to ask if there's one that we can give. I say this because it's been a challenging time. And often in the challenging times is the times where there's a test. What are we going to do? It's felt like we've had less, which could give us plenty of reason as to why we can't do as much. Or we 
seek to be faithful and continue to decide to contribute, aware that God's way is a better way and his ways sometimes make more sense in the long run than we don't understand at the time. Let's be okay with not having to understand everything. Let's trust God. So, to try and bring this together, don't make excuses as to why you don't have as much as that person, whether it's skills, time, talent, or finance, but decide to contribute. The heart is what's important. It's not the size of the contribution. It's the heart in which it's given. If your pay has changed, if you've not considered tithing, if this is a new teaching for you, or it's something that you set up automatically a long time ago and things have changed, may I encourage and ask you to review your giving. If you can give more, because sometimes you can give $2 instead of $1. I'm listening to Esther thinking, that's 20%. That's a... That's a lot. I don't know how you're going to keep going with that. It's the heart. It's the heart. May we be a church that has a heart that says we want to contribute our skills, our time, our homes, and our finances. Why don't we stand?